Acts 26, beginning in verse 1. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, I'm sorry, that's 826 in the Pew Bible if you're using that this morning. Uh, Acts 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy. That's what we spoke on last Lord's Day. And that word happy there is the same word blessed that we find in Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes that we've been going, or that we had gone through in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so I think myself blessed. I think, I think myself fortunate to be able to have this opportunity, in other words, to be able to speak for myself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently, my manner of life from my youth, which was at the first known, or first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews. It was known by them. Verse number 5. Which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even to strange cities." Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise, and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, and to whom now I send thee, to open, to open their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I know I read one more verse than what I said I was going to read, but um, this is the context. This is, this is um, Judge three in a sense, and you had Felix and Festus, and now Agrippa and Festus, really. But um, Paul here, once again, is giving a defense um, before men of why it is that he is hated and accused of the Jews. So, before we go into the message, let's, let's once again ask the Lord to, to be with us. Randall, would you pray for us? Yes.
this. Amen. You may be seated. Speak everything I should speak and not speak the things that I don't need to speak. And speaking of that, I have, I have probably more to speak on <laughs> than, um, than what I have time for. So the Lord give me wisdom and, and uh, help me to be able to, to bring forth those things, set forth those things before you that, that he would have set before us today. Certainly, the, 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 I know you've been using this word a lot lately, but the overarching theme, or the theme that, that strikes us, especially in the last verses that we read, is what happens to Paul on the road to Damascus, the light that shone down from heaven. And certainly we're going to keep that in, in mind and in view as we, as we go through the message this morning. Um, Paul, last Lord's Day, we talked about him thinking himself happy. He said, what a strange that thing that is to think yourself you know, happy. Um, and certainly we have cause to, in whatever situation, and that was the thing that we set forth last Lord's Day, whatever it is, we have a cause to think ourselves happy. No matter what we're facing, what we're going through, um, you know, last Lord's Day, there was, there was a father here he wasn't able to stay in the services with us because he had his granddaughter with him. And he went back there to the back. But there was a father here that possibly could have been going through a more difficult time than anybody else in the room. I say that because I don't know what else is going on with everybody else. You may have, I don't want to slight you, you may have something that's of greater um, difficulty in your own life. I don't know. But this father that was here, his son was involved in the car accident. How long ago? Three years ago. For three years, this has been hanging over their heads. He was involved in, in it's a single car accident. He struck a young lady on the side of the road and killed her. And that man was here last Sunday. And I made that statement no matter what you're going through. You, we ought to be able to think ourselves blessed. We ought to regard ourselves as blessed. We ought to regard ourselves as supremely blessed. And here's this man who for three years, this has been hanging over their heads, and they found out just this past week. I guess they knew Sunday, didn't they? They didn't know Sunday? That was Wednesday before they knew? Or it was Wednesday before we mentioned it, maybe. Okay, Monday they called. You know, Sunday, here he was, still hanging over their heads. Um, his son made a plea bargain, and uh, he's going to prison. And they didn't find out when until Monday. And it's going to happen November the 5th, 7th, somewhere around there. Not sure, you know, if he'll get out, you know, good behavior, parole. You know, in the time frame they've told him because he made the plea bargain. But can you imagine, I mean, here you have a son and involved in something like this. And that's hanging over your head. And somebody says to you, you're blessed. That's hard. And unless you know the Lord, unless you know the Lord to be who He is, unless you've tasted and seen Him to be who He says He is, and seen Him to be gracious, and understand your position, and the salvation that is yours as a child of God, and that this hope that Paul is talking about is your hope, that's impossible for you to be able to comprehend. That's impossible for you to be able to enter into. I trust that he was able to. I hope that he was able to. But we just never know what's going on with people. You know? And that's been hanging over their heads for a long time. You, you keep them in prayer. Remember them. Especially the, uh, the young man, Travis, who's going to prison. Um, the Lord used this. The Lord used these years in prison for Paul. And we said that. <clears throat> we said that last week that Paul should be able to, not just because he was able to stand before Agrippa and speak for himself and, and be able to testify of the wonderful grace of God and the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, but two years in prison that he ought to be able to say this, Lord, you've put me here. This is your will. 
I am going to look for each and every opportunity that I can to monopolize on this place that you've put me to glorify your name in every instance, whether it be with the guard or it be with my fellow prisoners or it be with those who come and visit me or it be before the king and the governors or before Caesars, you know, whoever it may be, that I would use this opportunity that you've placed me in because you put me here that I would use this opportunity to glorify your name. And we can, we can put that in a lot of different places. Brother Wiseman, I could put that in your house. Jim, I could put it where you are. And you were telling about a young man that came to you and some things changed and you were able to say something to him. And who knows, the Lord may open a door to be able, for us to be able to speak to people you know, that we wouldn't normally have. I may not have their ear, but you might. You, know, you might be able to speak to them. So to be able to, to, to monopolize upon them, to be able to use every situation for the glory of God, if I sit down at the table and give thanks, whether it be at home before my children or it be in a restaurant with... I don't know about you, but I just don't go to the restaurant very much anymore. When I was a kid, I used to see it a lot. But I just don't see people bow and pray in the restaurant anymore. Do, do you see it much? I mean, honestly, I, I really want you to know, shake your head if you do, or, or answer audibly. I, you know, do you see it very often anymore? I, I just don't see it. I mean, whether it be Taco Bell or, or it be, you know, a, a real nice restaurant, you know, I just don't see it. You know, whether it be the person who's got a, you know, a few coins jingling around in their pocket and can afford a bean burrito or it be the guy that's eating the prime rib in the steakhouse. I just don't see people do that anymore. I see it at camp. I see it here. You know, we give thanks, but I just don't see people doing that around me. What kind of a testimony might that be? Can you imagine here you are in the restaurant, you bow down, you pray, you give thanks unto the Lord for the food that you've eaten or that you're about to eat and here's this young man who may be sitting at a table next to you and he might not have prayed over his meal he might not have given God thanks for what God's given him not just in the food that's before him but in every area of his life but it may cause him to remember that he was brought up in a household where that was frequent that happened every time you sat down and remember those things that he was taught who knows who knows what kind of testimony that we can be unto people. Paul certainly thinks himself happy here to be able to speak for himself. What kind of constraints might have been on him before? When you think about when you're in the courtroom, this is one thing that really irks me. Here you go in the courtroom and you're a witness. And you go up to stand there in the box and, and Brother Mark can probably tell us better than anybody else about this because he probably sees it on multiple occasions. But you put your hand on that Bible and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, they don't want the whole truth. You don't get an opportunity to speak the whole truth. You don't get an opportunity to say everything that you would say or that you could say about the matter. You just get a chance to answer questions most of the time that the lawyer asks. Now, if your lawyer's a good enough lawyer and y'all have discussed everything and got a strategy, he may ask you to answer a certain question of course, it may be objected. That is, how is that relevant? You know, but to be able to freely speak—that's not really a reality in the courtroom. To be able to freely speak. But here Paul is in the courtroom, and King Agrippa, person with the authority, says, "I want you to speak. I want you to speak freely. You have the right to speak. The floor is yours. There is no opposing counsel. There is nobody to question the words that you're saying." There, there's no rebuttal. You know, there is just the liberty for you to be able to speak. No wonder Paul could say, I think myself happy. How blessed I am to be able to have this opportunity. I mean, I've, my, my answers have been constrained possibly before this. We could imagine they might have been. But here he's able to speak freely. He says, you're able to speak for yourself. And Paul says, I think myself happy. You know, I thought about that in us speaking to people when we witness to people. You know, there are times when we force, you know, our 
testimony, as it were, upon people. I mean, they really don't want to listen, but they're just being polite and they're standing there. You know, and there's some constraint, you know, to our, our words that are being spoken. But then there's times that like Paul, when that great light shone from heaven, and he says, who art thou, Lord? Who art thou? There's times that we get to speak to people and they really want to know. And what, what freedom, what liberty there is when we have such an opportunity to be able to do that. When somebody, when the Lord's pricked their heart and they really want to, they really want to hear what you have to say. somewhat akin to the liberty that Paul seems to be able to, to have here and speak for himself, for himself here, speak freely uh, for himself of the gospel's effect upon his life um, to give his testimony before Agrippa. I mean, how many of you would feel comfortable giving your testimony? You think, well, you know, I've done some pretty bad things. And I wouldn't want to bring that you know, out in the open in front of King Agrippa, and I wouldn't want to bring that out in the open before Festus and before all of the court that's there, before people who have, you know, high positions in society and, you know, things of that nature. How much worse does it get when this man's persecuting the church and delivering the saints to death? You know, how many of you would feel comfortable this morning giving your testimony of how the Lord came to you, found you where you were, profoundly affected your life, just this morning in our little group. I'd gladly give you the floor this morning if you wanted to be able to do that. If you wanted to be able to give your testimony, that's what Paul's doing here, he's giving his testimony. You know, of course, I don't, want, I don't want that forced upon anyone. If the Lord laid that upon your heart, then you know, do it, but not because I'm, I'm compelling you to. I'd rather the Lord compel you to do that than you feel compelled of me to do it. But, um, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm not just saying that. I'm serious. If anybody would, would do, they wanted to do that, I'd be glad to, to let you if you wanted to. You felt compelled of the Lord to do it. It made me think about my own. You know, I, I don't have time to, to go into to great detail, but... Um, you know, I was, I was like Samuel when the Lord began to deal with me. He was calling me, but I didn't, I didn't know that's what was happening. You know, here's Samuel. He runs in there. Did you call me? No, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Finally, you know, he, he comes to understand that it's the Lord calling him. Um, I, could, I could say that. I could say that I didn't understand what was happening at the time. Um, but I can remember weeping upon um, my mother's lap over my need of, of Christ. That doesn't just happen. A person doesn't just inadvertently do that. I can't even coach or coax my children to do that. You know, that just doesn't happen. That's something that the Lord certainly does. Um, and I say that, I say that in, in light of and in reference to what's happening with Paul. Paul would have continued the course that he was traveling on had it not been for the Lord arresting his thoughts and arresting his heart and arresting his attention and causing that light to shine down from heaven and revealing himself unto him and speaking unto him. I think my definitive years probably were in, in high school when the, the peer pressure of those around me and the desire to want to fit in, you know, with others um, came to, to bear upon me. I think it was at that time that the Lord used those things. Like Paul says in Galatians 6.14, the world was crucified unto me and I unto the world. I had to make a decision. Are you going to do those things or are you going to follow? The Lord says, follow me. But during that time, it was also when the Lord brought... Teresa and I together, and I think those things that we face together, the Lord used in her life to, to bring you know, her to himself. But there has to be light. There has to be light given. And there has to be more certainly than just light shining. Because the light shining this morning, here we have God's word. Here we've sung these hymns that speak of him. 
speak of our redemption, salvation, speak of the greatness and the glory of God. Here we've read just the text that we've read. The light is shining just from those things, the glory of, of God in those things. It's shining outside in the creation that God's made, not just the sun shining down, but all the things that God has made. The light is shining. But that light itself wasn't enough to convert the men that were with Paul. You know, the light shone upon those men too. But it didn't have the effect upon those men that it had upon Paul. Why? They just saw the light. They fell down upon their faces just like Paul did. But they didn't hear the Lord speaking unto them. Paul did. Paul did. So in verse number 4, Paul recounts the manner of life. He recounts the manner of life that he had before the Lord came to him on the Damascus Road. And we've all had a manner of life before. We could all speak of our manner of life before. If, if, I, if I were willing to, or the Lord compelled me to, I could tell you some things about me that would be shocking, to say the least. And I'm sure that you could do the same. It certainly is shocking as you look at the Apostle Paul here, think about who he was, thinking about him as Saul of Tarsus, thinking about him as breathing out threatenings and railings against the church, thinking about him persecuting the church and putting Christians to death. It's certainly shocking to think that the Lord would save that man. Paul was certainly a religious, or I should say Saul. Let's, let's separate him, Saul over here, before he became the Apostle Paul, before the, Lord, the light shone round about him and the Lord revealed himself to him, before he became the Apostle Paul, Saul was religious. He says he was a Pharisee of the strictest sect. Of the strictest section of the Pharisees, he was a Pharisee. In other places, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was above them all. And he had a manner of life like we all have had before the Lord transformed it. We were all worshiping and devoted to something. We may also have been like Paul before the Lord revealed himself unto us. We may have been of those who ridiculed, persecuted those who were Christians, spoke evil of those who were Christians. Except that God invaded and intervened and revealed himself unto us, we would have continued in that manner of life that we had before. Living maybe even as a Pharisee. Maybe we were just religious. How many religious people there are today? How many people go to church and they sit there and they listen to the sermon and they look at their watch the whole time and they're ready to get out and they perform that duty. You know, they sang the hymns. Maybe they belong to the choir. Maybe they're a Sunday school teacher. They're religious. Living a Pharisee outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, it's all a person really can be. Except Christ come and reveal himself unto us. That's all we really can be. It's just a religious person if we are even um, going to seek to be religious. We can be a Pharisee. We can be a separatist. We can seek in some sense to separate ourselves from the world. Seek to be religious, observing ceremonies worshiping and taking pride in works, receiving the approval and praise of men, but not of God. Something happened in Paul's life that changed that manner of life that he once was accustomed to, that he once thought he was serving God in. That in verse number 6, he stands and is judged for the hope that he now has which he claims to be the same hope of his forefathers. He says, I don't stand in judgment, in other words, of my former acts of life, as I lived a Pharisee of the strictest sect. They're not, a sect they're, not, they're not judging me for that or accusing me for that, but I stand judged and accused of my current hope. And people would ridicule you as a Christian of your current hope. If you lived the former manner of life, they wouldn't have a problem with you. But because of your current hope, Those who once praised your actions, you know, making the, the, uh, the goal at the buzzer, 
or the touchdown that won the game. The former manner of life, those things that are important to this world, they praise you for, but not this. They would condemn you for this. The very ones who were formerly glad to be your companions. I can remember Brother Pounds, pastor that we had here at one time, talking about when the Lord saved him. And he went back to work that next Monday. And he began to tell people about the Lord. He began to witness and testify of the goodness of God that, had, that God had revealed himself unto him, forgiven him of his sins, and he, he had repented and come to know the Lord as, as, as uh, uh, Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And those people that were once formerly glad to be his companions, like these Jews who now accuse Paul, shunned him, turned away from him, didn't want to have anything to do with him, had no use for him. To an extreme, that is what is happening here with Paul. Those who formerly were some who might have said, Wow, look at look at Saul. I would boy, look at the sect of the Pharisees that he belongs to. Look at all that he does. Look how devoted he is, how religious his life is, how strict he is. They looked up to him, they would have been like him. Love to have had the opportunity maybe to sit at the feet of Gamaliel to be taught. You know, like Paul was by what they what they called a great teacher. But now, what was Paul before them? What was his hope to them? What was his hope or expectation to them? As I said last week, we all have a hope. Everybody's got a hope. You've got a hope. Whether you're saved or not this morning, you've got a hope. You've got an expectation for something better. You know, something's going to happen. Something that makes the day worth living for. What are you living for? What is your hope? Paul's hope was the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the resurrected Lord, the hope of salvation, the hope of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation in Him. This same word hope um, in, uh, in our text here, we find in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, Second Corinthians one verse number ten. Says this um, page eight fifty two in your Pew Bible. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust. That word trust there, same hope word hope that we find in our text, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. This is Paul's hope who delivered us from so great a death, who delivered us from our sins, delivered us from the condemnation and judgment that was upon us for our sins, and yet doth deliver us from sin, no longer having dominion over us, doth deliver us, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. We could maybe almost say, like we've heard some say, the conferences I've been to, that we have been saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. And we see that in, in, that, uh, in that sense. But this was Paul's hope and expectation, trusting in Christ for his salvation. His hope was in him for final deliverance. That he, this, this mortal would put on immortality. That I'd be done away with this mind that is still able to think vile thoughts. And with desires that are still contrary to what God has called me unto that I'd be resurrected in a glorified body with a mind that only thinks pure, holy, glorified thoughts of God and all the things around me. This was Paul's hope and expectation. He says in verse number 8 that God should raise the dead. Why should it be thought an incredible thing with you, Agrippa? He said to him, what was that in verse number um, Three, I know that to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews, why should it be thought an incredible thing to you that God should raise the dead? A few passages that I wanted to read in um, connection with that. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 51. That's page 851 in your pew Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. 
Behold, I show you a mystery. Intriguing, isn't it? When you read something like that. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That was Paul's hope. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, these, these verses like this used to just enthrall me. I, Andrew's looking at me right now. I think about myself when I was your age, son. And I was sitting there listening to a verse like that. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us, giveth us the victory through our Lord Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. What a hope we have. If you're still there in 1 Corinthians 15, just flip over a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, page number 854 in the Pew Bible. Verse number 1, for we know that if our earthly house, now these things were on Paul's mind these things the spirit of God compelled him to pin when he wrote to the churches the church here at Corinth for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle doesn't this these things don't they give you hope this tabernacle were dissolved we have a building of God a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens for in this we groan do you groan for this earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven if so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now the he that hath wrought for us this selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are all confident. He was confident of this hope, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Right now, when we come a time, we walk by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, you know, living or dead, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in His body. Paul's hope was he received that which is incorruptible crown according that he hath done whether it be good or bad corruptible putting on incorruption you know the one of my favorite verses in regards to when you think about this that Paul said to Agrippa that it be, should, be, should be thought of you an incredible thing that God raised the dead that God should raise the dead I think back to these, these that lived. I'm not sure what the chronology is of Job's life and in, in the history of, you know, our Bible's not chronological, but where exactly I could put for you this morning, Job. Um, but you think about a man who lived before Christ. And in Job 19, for him to make such a statement on page uh, 417 of your pew Bible, Job 19, verse 25, for him to be able to say something like this is just, you know, it, it's only life that comes from heaven that, that God gives that somebody will be able to make this statement. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and that though after my skin worms destroy this body, not a pleasant thought, is it? <laughs> That's not my hope. <laughs> my hope's not in worms destroying my body. Yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another. 
Though my reins, though my brain be consumed in the grave, though my reins be consumed within me, but ye shall say... Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to stop there. Um, but to be able to, to say that, isn't that incredible? Uh, one of my favorite, that's one of my favorite verses in regards to the resurrection. You think about a man like Job, all the suffering and the turmoil and the anguish that he is facing going through to be able to, to uh, make that testimony. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, though the rain, my rains be consumed within me, I know my Redeemer liveth and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth and I shall see him for myself. My eyes shall behold him. This, this is Paul's hope that he sets before Agrippa. Of course, there was that former manner of life, and in verses 9 through 12, um, he seems to, to regress from that point to his former manner of life, saying that he thought himself that he ought to do many things um, against Jesus of Nazareth, shutting up the saints in prison, giving his voice against them, punishing them, being exceedingly mad against them, persecuting them to strange cities. He says, I was on my way to Damascus. That was his manner of life until he went to Damascus, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, as Acts 9 verse 1 says. And then in verse number 13 he says, I saw a, in the way a light from heaven. A light that Saul would not have seen if it were not for God's mercy causing it to shine down from heaven. It shone round about him and all those that were with Saul. But we do not find that, as I said before, it had any effect upon them. We shouldn't think that strange. Acts 22 says that those that were with Saul saw the light and were afraid. Makes sense. They fell down on their faces upon the ground. But it says they heard not the voice of him that spake. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse number 3. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. Page 850. We read Paul says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present but some are fallen asleep. Verse 7 he says after that he was seen of James then of all the apostles and then he says in verse number 8 and last of all, he was seen of me also. This is what he's talking about. He was seen of me also. This very instance that we're reading of in Acts 26. As of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles. That I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. What abundant grace it is to take such a man destroying the church and persecuting the church and putting Christians to death to convert him. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So here's this light shining down from heaven. Another account that Paul gives there in 1 Corinthians 15. All Saul's prejudices. You think about all of Saul's prejudices against. You know what prejudice is. You may have some prejudices against people because of their skin color, the kind of person they are. I don't know. God reveal that unto us if there are. Let those things be dispelled. Let there be no barrier or hindrance for us to be able to preach the gospel unto any or call any a brother. But all of Saul's prejudice is against Jesus of Nazareth. You think about that. You think about him breathing out threatenings and railings against the church. Can you imagine a candidate for the grace of God any worse than this? This very thing Paul pointed out himself unto us. 
him who was the least because he persecuted the church. But he says, God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins. We can't just point the finger at Paul. We had a former manner of life ourselves. We're guilty of such things. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins. Even when we were like Saul of Tarsus. When we had no regard for Christ. We had no regard for Jesus of Nazareth. We had no regard for the church even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Hath raised us up together and made us to sit in, together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'll read another passage to you from 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 6, page 854. Again, this light that we're, that we're speaking of for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Was Saul in darkness? Absolutely he was. Hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If that is not a commentary upon what happened to Paul in Acts 26, I don't know what is. The light of the knowledge of God to shine forth in the face of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He saw him for who he was, for what he was. Him whom he was persecuting. Christ was in the light. Those that traveled with Paul saw the light only. They didn't see Christ in the light. They just saw the light. A lot of knowledge goes forth. A lot of God's instruction, his word has gone forth. And there's light all around. But only when we see this that we read of there in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, the, the light of the knowledge of God, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Only as he saw Christ for who he was, was there a transformation made. He said, I heard in verse number 14 a voice speaking. Others didn't hear that. It was more than just an experience, more than just a light that shone down. It was a revelation of tremendous proportion to transform that former manner of life. Think about Saul and those with him. If they had just seen the light, if, if Saul hadn't heard Christ speaking, if Saul hadn't seen him and seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, think if they just had that experience, they might have missed it altogether, its meaning altogether. If our Lord hadn't appeared and lightened to Paul, they likely would have tried possibly to put some positive spin upon it, you know, and say, Oh, you know, the Lord's shown us this light because He's you know, God's God's favor is upon us and his blessing is upon us to go forth and persecute these so called Christians, these Christ like people, this man who claims to be Christ, but he was um, a pretender as far as Saul was concerned. And imagine that they were bringing God some pleasure by persecuting these people who were the true children of God. And the Lord says unto him, Why persecutest thou me? More than just the light. But our Lord himself saying, Why are you persecuting me? You know, in Matthew 25, verse 40, where it says that you've done this to the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. You know, the Lord's saying, you're persecuting me. Well, Saul was persecuting the church. Well, he's persecuting the church. He was persecuting the Lord. You've done these things. I know that, you know, it's, it's really sort of in a, in, in, a, in a different, it's in a positive context. You do these things unto the least of my brethren. You've done it unto me. But the, but the, the negative is also implied there. If the church is persecuted, the Lord's persecuted. He says, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who art thou? Who is this that I've been persecuting? Seeing he is so glorious and so mighty. And he bowed down and said, who art thou, Lord? Who art thou, Master? He didn't even know who he was. He just knew the power and the glory until the Lord gave him understanding and revealed himself unto him. 
What a merciful God to stay his hand from destroying us when we were like Saul, shaking our fist in the face of God, a fist of rebellion and disobedience. For all those years, for him to be long-suffering toward us like he was this man. He says, I've appeared unto thee to make thee a minister. This is the purpose for which the Lord appeared unto Saul of Tarsus, making him Paul the Apostle. What's the purpose for which the Lord has appeared unto you and me? Is it any different? Well, you know, he says he's a minister. He's a preacher. I'm not a minister or a preacher. It's no different for any of us. The Lord has appeared unto us to make us an ambassador of him, to make us a minister of him. You know, does this have any application for each and every one of us? I think certainly it does. To the lost, have you seen the light? Have you seen this light? Has the Lord manifested himself unto you? Were you sitting in darkness and you've seen this light? In Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 16, we read the people which sat, that's page 705, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's a person need to do when they see such light? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The reason for his coming is to give light to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace, to give a knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of God. This is that hope that Paul spoke of. What is your hope this morning? What effect has the light of the gospel had upon you? Do you love or hate that light? John talks about that in John chapter 3. What's your response to this light? You know, there were more than just Saul of Tarsus there that saw the light. What's your response to that light? John 3 verse 19, page 781 and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Do you love the light? Because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Do you hate the light, shrink from the light, or do you love the light and step into it? Do you love the light and desire the light? Or do you love darkness rather than light. If you have been given light, if the Lord has spoken unto you, if he has visited you and invaded your thoughts, stopped you on the road to Damascus, that was a road of dest to destruction for Saul of Tarsus. He would have gone to hell had he continued on that road. Then Scripture entreats us to walk in the light. What light have you been given? The Bible tells you to walk in it. John chapter 12 and verse number 36. John 12, 36, 792. John 12, verse 36. While you have light... Believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. It's incredible how much a light God has given unto men. Of course, we understand that those men that were with Saul, they didn't hear the Lord speak. Therefore, they just saw a light. But we don't know. Have you seen some light? Has the Lord given you some light? We don't know about you. We don't know which one you are. Has the Lord spoken to you or have you just seen light? While you have light, if the Lord has spoken unto you and given you some understanding, believe in the light. Walk in the light that you've been given. 
that you may be children of light. Walk in the light, believe in the light that you have been given, that you may be children of light. You are entreated to walk in the light that you've been given. You're not going to be given any more light until you walk in the light that you have. So I would say that to you as the lost. To the Christian, I would say this. That light that shone round about Saul, that kindled a flame in him. He became a light. You are a light in this world. Ye are the light of the world. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter. And I'm getting, getting close to... I'm concluding now. 1 Peter 2. Not just with this verse, but I'm getting close to the end. 1 Peter 2. I don't want to disappoint you if you think that I'm done with this verse. Either because you want to hear more or because you want to go home. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. You are a chosen generation, generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of Him. This is what you've been called to. That you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Which in time past you were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy. Obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conversation honest among the Gentiles why? because you are light abstain from the very appearance of evil be a light unto them that whereas they speak evil of you against you as evil do they may behold your good works which they shall behold and glorify God in the day of visitation Be light. You've been given light. Light came unto you. The light of the world came unto you and lighted you. Gave you understanding. You saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you are called to be a light unto those whom the Lord has given around you to be a light unto. What a responsibility. Just in my house. Lord's given me four children and one wife to be a light unto. And will hold me accountable. He's also given me brethren in an assembly, a church, to be a light unto. Will hold me accountable. He's given me to be a light unto the people that I work with. He'll hold me accountable. Ephesians 5, verse number 5. Is that important for us to know? Important for us to be reminded of? Ephesians 5, verse 5. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. But not, be not ye therefore partakers with them, for you were sometimes darkness, you were those things. But now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable. If we will live that way, if we will live in a manner that we do all things. Andrew left the house yesterday to come down here to mop and vacuum and do some things. And as he walked out the door, I said, Son, he turned around and looked at me. I said, Do it as unto the Lord. If we will live that way, if we will do everything that we do, that's one of his, his, his verses this week in his schoolwork, his memory verses. That as, we, as we do, can you quote it yet? That we do all things as heartily unto the Lord. That we do all things. You can't remember. I'm having trouble quoting it too. But the, the premise is that we do everything we do as unto the Lord. If we'll live that way. If we'll do everything that we do in that manner, if I'll wash the dishes at home as under the Lord, if I'll, if I'll work at, at my job as under the Lord, if I'll raise my children as under the Lord, if I'll love my wife as under the Lord, 
if I'll do all the things that I do as under the Lord, then I'll live in a manner which is a light unto those around me. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship, not acceptable with the Lord, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The light's going to expose them. That's what the light's for. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Well, this is important. You understand what the will, what's the will of the Lord. Be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So this is pleasing unto the Lord. This is something accept, acceptable unto Him, that I be filled with the Spirit. What is that? Verse 19 says, Speaking unto yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, seeking and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. That's acceptable. Giving thanks always for all things. That's acceptable. Unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's acceptable unto the Lord. We are to bear witness of the light as Paul did. What's Paul doing here before Agrippa? What's he doing? He's bearing witness of the light, isn't he? Our lives, everywhere we go, everything that we do, bearing witness of the light. That's what we're doing. We need to bear witness of the light. We need to shine. I think of, when I think about this, I think about Moses. He came down from the mountain. His face shone with the glory of God. My face doesn't always shine with the glory of God. My thoughts don't always shine with the glory of God. My speech doesn't always shine with the glory of God. My eyes don't always behold that which shines with the glory of God. My ears don't always hear that which shines with the glory of God. Our Lord said in John 9, 5, As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But now, He has called you to be light. While He was here, He shone. While we're here, what's He saying? You shine. You shine. Some of us will come into contact. We will come into contact with people like Saul. And you're to be like that light. I mean, you're like that light that shone round about him. And our hope is that he would not just see the light, that he would not just see you, that he would not just see your good work, but that in those things, and in your speech, and in your testimony unto Him, He would hear Christ speaking, and that He would see Christ standing, and that He would, he would hear, have ears to hear, His heart would be opened, He would be given a, eyes to see. We, like John the Baptist, are to bear witness of that life. That's what he came into the world to do. That's what we're here to do. Bear witness of the light. We're not the light, but we're to bear witness of the light. It may be that some poor soul like Saul, who's been persecuting Christians, who hates God's people, maybe that some poor soul like that would see the light and hear from the Lord. And hear the Lord saying unto him, Why persecutest thou me? he would reply, Who art thou, Lord? So, go this week and be light. May the Lord help us all to be light and stand. Stand. Do you love the light? shrink away from the light. And for those of us who have seen the light, be light. Be light. Be salt. We're called to be. We need to be this that Paul saw for those around us. They're on the road to Damascus. 
They're on the road of destruction. We're called to be light. Amen. That was the only direction I was permitted to go with that this morning. So I trust that being the case that the Lord spoke and you didn't just hear me that you didn't just see light but you heard as it were the voice of the Lord speaking in the light let's pray brother Mike would you pray for us and would you also return thanks for the food